0: Will you pray with me this morning? Dearest Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness that is running after us. Thank you for your mercy, Lord. Thank you for waking us up to a new day, a day that we have never seen before. Thank you that your compassions fail not and they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, the battles we face some days feel so intense. We get tired and weak, and it's hard to keep going. Help us in those times to remember the battle belongs to you, Lord. Thank you for the battles that you fight for us, battles seen and unseen. Help us to trust you more and more and to stop fighting in our own strength. Lord, your word in Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And God, because of that, I declare that we will not live in fear. I declare that the works of the enemy will not prevail in our lives. I decree that our families, children, and future generations are and will be covered by the blood of Jesus. And nothing by any means will harm us because you, Lord Jesus, will strengthen us and uphold us with your righteous right hand. May your Holy Spirit continue to guide us and may your angels walk with us wherever we go. May you strengthen us, Lord, with the power of your might. Dress us with your armor so that we can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Lord, we do pray for those with health challenges this morning. And I want to remind them of your promise in Matthew eleven twenty-eight that says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Protect them from Satan's lies and discouragement. Continue to be with them. Strengthen them, nourish their spirit and soul, and comfort them with your presence. And Lord Jesus, may those with children who don't have a personal relationship with you yet be encouraged by your promises in Jeremiah 31, 16 through 17. It says, but I, the Lord, say to dry your tears. Someday your children will come home from the enemy's land. Thank you, Lord. Then all you have done for them will be greatly rewarded. So do not lose hope. I, the Lord, have spoken. Father God, just as Solomon asked of God to give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong in 1 Kings 3, 9, we ask that you do the same for our pastor, Tim, as he shepherds our church. And he, as he comes to deliver your message this Sunday, may we listen with open ears. Inflame the word of God in our hearts. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we at Fellowship Bible Church will trust in the name of the Lord our God. We commit our families into your hands. Help us to keep your word in our hearts as we leave today so that we will not sin against you. Thank you for hearing and answering our prayers in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen and amen.
1: Amen. Well, thank you all for joining us for worship here this morning. I'm going to go ahead and dismiss the kids to their time of worship upstairs. So kids, preschool through the fifth grade, you guys can go ahead and make your way Upstairs, and I'm going to invite um, to join me on stage, um, Emmanuel, come on back, and uh, Donnie and Timmy, for now, Timmy, would you join us upstairs, up, up here too? Um, we have some special guests with us this morning um, from Romania. Um, Emmanuel's been here for a while, so he's kind of old news at this point, but um, we have some, some more special guests. Um, this is Donny Gruyon, who is the pastor of Reynastria Church, includes Napoca. And uh, you know, Emmanuel's dad is the pastor of Geneza Church. And so we have the opportunity to um, partner with two different churches uh, within the same community in Romania. And um, so Donnie is going to share with us a little bit about ministry in his church as well as ministry going on in Ukraine. Um, Donnie brought his son Tim with, us, with him um, today as well. And so Donnie and Tim have been in North Carolina, South Carolina, um, Georgia, and then they're going to Alabama later this week. So they'll get a really good view of one particular region of the U.S. Um, but uh, four neighboring states in a, in a few weeks But um, we're so pleased to have you here uh, with us, and uh, we're going to let Donnie tell us a little bit more about ministry going on in his church in Romania and the work in Ukraine. And I'll remind you, we've said it a few times, one of the decisions we made um, a few months ago as elders, with all of the hardship being faced in Ukraine in this season of time, we have been sending over consistently money from our Samaritan Fund, particularly to serve the church in Ukraine, and it's being funneled through the church in Romania, and they're traveling over, and uh, you've heard from Tom and some others about their trips there. So Donnie is going to share with us a little bit about what the money that that we are sending through the Samaritan um, ministry to Romania to serve Ukraine, what what God is doing there. So uh, Tim and I are going to sit down, and Donnie is going to share with us, and Emmanuel is going to do some translation.
2: Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Okay, I was thinking, since uh, team asked me to share with you this morning, that this part will be the funniest part. Listening to somebody who speaks broken English, um, thinking that you, uh, or me, I will use and abuse your language, but praise the Lord, because God provides. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm glad that uh, Emmanuel is here and he can translate for me or for you. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm really thankful for this. Uh, so, mă bucur
3: I'm so glad to be here with you again.
2: Uh I
3: want to say hi to you from my family.
2: And from my church. Din partea familiei lui Mihai,
3: from the uh, Mihai's family,
2: și să vă mulțumim pentru tot sprijinul vostru față de noi.
3: And to say thank you for all of your help and to us.
2: Să vă mulțumim pentru rugăciunile voastre. Știți so um, de multe ori ascultarea de Dumnezeu aduce suferință.
3: A, a lot of the times, listening to God is gonna end up with suffering.
2: Uh, mai evident exemplu este Domnul Iisus
3: And one of the one of the would, would be actually Jesus Christ. Pentru că a fost ascultător, a avut de suferit. Because he listened to God, he had to suffer.
2: Și de multe ori, când alegi să de Dumnezeu, Dumnezeu îngaduie suferința sau greutăți în viață.
3: And a lot of the times when you choose to listen to God, he's going to allow suffering in your life. And you can think about Job and others from the Bible.
2: am um, experimentat acelasi lucru și noi ca familie.
3: And we as a family we we felt the same.
2: Probabil că nu vă dați seama ce mare este ajutorul vostru pentru noi.
3: And we, you probably don't realize how important your help was for my family în
2: în because there, there
3: were some moments when we wanted
2: to give up
3: but your help and praying and support helped us to keep going
2: dată, special, so that's
3: why i want to say a special thing Thank you for you
2: and for your nevoe de voastre. We
3: need we desperate need your praying and your prayers for și us. Vă and we thank you for
2: Monsumir
3: We wanna say thank you from our organization Ece homo
2: Yeah, it's a Latin word. Um Organizație care caută să ajute um, și pe plan social sau material și spiritual.
3: It's an organization that is looking to help on the physical stuff, but also the spiritual stuff.
2: Sunt peste 70 de oameni în vârste care sunt asistați prin această organizație.
3: There are more than uh, 70. 70, 70 older people that are helped in our
2: organization. There
3: are 12 kids that are helped and uh, we are giving support to them every single day.
2: There are
3: over 70 families that are helped right next to Cluj. De
2: asemenea, Ece are un proiect prin care ajută persoane care vin la Cluj pentru tratament să fie cazate la un preț foarte
3: mic. No, si no, la sută
2: din ei vin cu diagnosticul de cancer și vin pentru tratament.
3: of them come there because of uh, their cancer and their treatment
2: for that. And etch
3: home is going to offer them a super lower price to a a place to stay.
2: I want to
3: say hi from Frontiers, Cluj. Probabil că știți,
2: parte mare din inima mea este pentru misiunea printre musulmani.
3: You probably know a big part of my heart is serving and missioning in uh, the Muslim part.
2: Yeah, okay. Um, vreau să vă readic aminte câteva lucruri importante despre această lucrare.
3: Uh, things about this work. Ministry. Dumnezeu
2: face ceva extraordinar în lumea musulmană astăzi.
3: God is working and is doing something special in the Muslim world right now.
2: În ultimii 36 de ani,
3: in the last 36 years,
2: s-au întors la Domnul mai mulți musulmani decât în 400 de ani.
3: In the last 36 years, more Muslims came to God or uh, they came surrendered their life to God than in the last 400 years.
2: Yeah, that's amazing. 36 <laughs> uh, Because 36
3: years ago a group of missionaries went there to start uh, to start mission
2: in there. un ghid de rugăciune pentru lumea musulmană.
3: A, a praying a guide prayer guide for
2: prayer guide for them yeah, yeah. um so this guide is trans,
3: translated in a lot of languages and churches are invited to pray for them too
2: um motiv de pe care a
3: reason to pray would be
2: um Dorința noastră este ca în următorii trei ani să trimitem trei echipe în trei, în trei țări islamice.
3: in the next three
2: Deja avem o familie din Cluj care vrea să în Libia.
3: We already
2: pentru acest vis
3: mare pe care so, avem. for this big dream that we have.
2: Um, vreau să vă mulțumesc pentru dărnicia voastră pentru Ucraina.
3: I want to say thank you for your giving for Ukraine.
2: Um, dacă putem să avem
3: și imaginile <laughs>
2: Dupa trei zile, dupa ce a inceput războiul.
3: After three days after the war has started,
2: Am luat legatura cu un prieten din Ucraina.
3: We our in este cel din dreapta din poza care aveți în this față. The, one far, far the right.
2: Um, am studiat împreună, am fost împreună la câteva cursuri înainte de
3: a începe războiul. We studied together and we've been together to Și
2: el este președintele Asociației Bisericilor Baptiste Române din Ucraina.
3: And he is the of the Association. Association Churches in
2: l legătura cu el am vrut să văd care sunt nevoile lor so sorry l legătura
3: cu el am vrut să văd care sunt nevoile contact him uh, so we contacting him to see what what are the needs for the ukraine
2: așa că după 3 zile am căutat să vorbesc cu alți prieteni și să strângem alimente ca să ducem în Ucraina.
3: so after 3 days we got to talk with our friends to to bring uh, supplies supplies and everything to send to ukraine
2: uh, am fost deja de 8 ori in Ucraina.
3: We've been there 2 times. Opt. Eight, 8 times, bye bye. <laughs> ok, not
2: 2. <laughs> okay. um, aici, vedeți, într-una din pozele din dreapta, în colț, este locul unde ducem toate aceste ajutoare.
3: The picture from the right is, the, is where, I, where we bring support, supplies from. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Um, probabil că ați mai văzut imaginea asta și de la Tom.
3: You probably saw this picture from Tom already.
2: Because that's
3: where we collect all of our help.
2: And the beauty is that we, from
3: there, we we we'll go to where there are big needs and where are in the war zone.
2: Uh, pe următorul slide puteți
3: the next slide
2: um, să vedeți că aceste ajutoare ajung au ajuns inclusiv la armată
3: you can see that they they have arrived also to the army și pe următorul slide In the next slide,
2: um, aceste ajutoare au ajuns inclusiv în zonele cașikiev unde au fost luptele grele
3: they also got to go to Kiev, for the big-
2: or what's happening And
3: we got to visit some of those towns
2: And to
3: help it's a greater need
2: Your your
3: help is so important especially because it's keep it's keep going
2: pentru că ei primesc tot mai puțin ajutoare în perioada aceasta.
3: Right now not a lot of help. Și nevoile sunt destul de mari. And în the needs are still... Ei au avut
2: so... în jur de 800 de refugiați doar în, în, în la acea locație unde este sediul asociației.
3: Uh, uh, 100. Sorry. 180.
2: Oh,
3: 180.
2: Yeah. Um, Și, de asemenea, sunt alții care vin în fiecare zi ca să primească ajutor de la ei. În Cernăuți, în acest oraș, sunt peste 100.000 de refugiați
3: there are more than 100, um,
2: care au nevoie de ajutor. That need help. Uh, dar, dincolo de acest ajutor, but Este
3: interesant ceea ce Dumnezeu face în Ucraina astăzi. în right
2: Pentru că, datorită aceste crize, crisis, Mulți oameni vin se
3: întorc la Dumnezeu.
2: Bisericile au câștigat o reputație foarte mare în Ucraina.
3: o reputație foarte mare în Ucraina.
2: Pentru că ajutorul spre oameni vine prin bisericile locale.
3: Because the help to other people are coming through the churches. Uh,
2: Bisericiile care se întâlnesc în fiecare Duminică oferă după program o masă celor care vin la biserica.
3: And the churches that are meeting every single Sunday morning are gonna offer food and uh, a meal after. The for Am
2: vizitat o biserică în Kiev de 50 de membri,
3: I visited a church in Kiev of 50
2: și au avut 200 de oameni pentru că au venit uh,
3: la programul bisericii. And they had to their uh,
2: partea frumosă este că mulți se întorc la Dumnezeu și în fiecare lună sunt botezuri uh, cu oameni care se întorc la El
3: and the beauty of it is that a lot of people are coming back to God and every single month we are going to have uh, baptisms with uh, other people. Mm-hmm. Um un alt mod prin care am continuat
2: să fim aproape de cei din Ucraina,
3: and another way that we got to help Ukraine.
2: În, în was
3: to be close to the team that is that Și să vedem
2: cum putem să ajutăm bisericile locale. Următorul slide o să the vedeți uh, câteva imagini de la ultima întâlnire care am avut-o în Ucraina.
3: Am avut o tabără cu actually,
2: 95
3: de persoane. Era un cu 95 de persoane.
2: Uh, parte din ei sunt refugiați din zona războiului care au venit înspre acest
3: oraș.
2: sunt deja de ceva vreme în America.
3: And I'm, I'm here from have been here for a while in <laughs> yeah. the US.
2: Dar inima mea încă este în Ucraina. For my heart, still in Ukraine. <laughs> Și în România. And Romania. <laughs> Pentru că ceva Dumnezeu a făcut special și în viața mea.
3: God something, something Dumnezeu
2: a schimbat ceva profund în mine în urma acestor vizite. And
3: God sorry. a
2: schimbat ceva profund
3: în mine în
2: Pentru că uh, Dumnezeu cred că ne cheamă pe noi în România să fim un suport pentru ei.
3: Because I believe God is asking us from Romania to be a help for
2: them.
3: And thank you for making it possible for us to be a help
2: for them.
3: It's hard to see those places in Ukraine where the people suffered a lot.
2: Aminte, la când am mers în Ucraina,
3: I remember at the beginning when. I went to Ukraine.
2: Era iarna, în
3: it was winter because the war started in
2: 24 February.
3: It was a lot of people that were waiting to cross the border in Romania.
2: Un aeroport imens, Imagine
3: a huge airport uh, cu de oameni, with a ton of people, fără clădiri, without buildings, doar oameni, just people.
2: Femei și copii.
3: Women and
2: pentru că bărbații uh, trebuie să rămână în țară pentru că trebuie să meargă la război.
3: Au uh,
2: multime de oameni având bagaje după ei,
3: and a lot of had their with them.
2: așteptând zile și nopți ca să poată să treacă granița.
3: Days and to cross the Am
2: vizitat câteva din orașele unde au fost bomb- care au fost bombardate sau
3: distruse. Am vizitat some... Of the towns that were bombed,
2: uh, văzut and
3: we saw people that were super sad.
2: Uh, de orice este de ei.
3: That's why any kind of help is so important. Pray,
2: so please pray
3: for that God will use the church in Ukraine right now.
2: To spread the gospel to these people. Rugati vă pentru Rusia.
3: Pray for Russia.
2: Acolo sunt frați și surori de ale noastre sau
3: de ai noștri. Our brothers and sisters are there.
2: And they
3: need they need God too.
2: Mulțumesc încă o dată pentru
3: tot. Thank you again for everything.
2: Mulțumesc pentru ca lăsați pe Tom în mod special să vină în România. Thank
3: you for letting Tom come to your Romania.
2: Și pentru toată lucrarea pe care el a făcut o venind în mod special cu acest proiect de saturate care uh, a adus o dinamică extraordinară în bisericile din Cluj.
3: And for the ministry that he brought in Romania and he brought a, he changed the dynamic and changed everything in good God bless you.
1: Yeah, let me um, thank you, Donnie, for sharing with us. Thank you, Emmanuel, for your hard work in translating. Yeah, thank you for doing that. Um, let me pray for Donnie and for his ministry at the um, Christian Humanitarian Organization he leads, Eche Homo and also for the church he leads and for the amazing extra ministry going on into uh, Ukraine in this season of time. Father, thank you for uh, bringing Donnie and Timmy here safely, um, for the opportunity they have to share about what you are doing in Romania and Ukraine in various different churches throughout our region in their time here. Uh, Thank you for um, equipping them, sustaining them um, through the challenges Father, thank you for raising up Mihai to um, assist Donnie in the ministry um, at the church in this season as there is more and more opportunities for gospel ministry and for serving people through Eche Homo and through the um, situation in Ukraine. Uh, Father, we pray your blessing over your people in each of these strategic areas. In Romania, Ukraine, and Russia, you have sons and daughters in each area that are proclaiming the gospel, that are sharing the light of Christ in dark places and in places of great despair. And so we pray for the refugees that have left Ukraine, um, some in Romania, some in the U.S., and some scattered throughout other regions. Father, we pray for your protection over them as they resettle we pray for the church in Ukraine as they support their own people and preach the gospel. We pray for the church in Russia, Father, as they continue to preach the gospel and, and focus on living a life of the light of Christ. And Father, we pray that Donnie would be safe and Timmy as they continue to travel um, and that the other churches that they speak at would um, see the beauty of the gospel in um, the messages that they share and, uh, and, and also uh, partner with the church in Romania and Ukraine. So Father, we pray your blessing in Jesus' name through all of them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Donnie. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us. And um, uh, one of the reasons that Donnie and Timmy are here is they will go to Alabama later this week. Next Sunday, they'll be um, at a church in Alabama that is um, investigating the possibility of uh, doing a mission trip to Romania next summer, and uh, we're investigating the po- the possibility of working with them, partnering with another local church um, in uh, Alabama to, uh, to do a joint trip together next summer. So please be in prayer for those um, details, that the Lord's will would be done and that all parties would be clear on where God is leading there. Um, I'd like to ask you now... Um, <clears throat> If you did not get one of these, this is a 50-day of prayer guide. Um, If you don't have one of these, Jim is in in the back, back there. Everybody say hi, Jim. Um, Jim has more if you don't have one. I hope a lot of you got them, but if you want to raise your hand if you didn't, Jim will get you one now. What this is, it is a challenge. Jim, there's a, yeah, I think there's a few just sort of scattered here. Um, This is a a challenge and a tool. It's a tool in the sense that um, we want to help you um, be more strategic in your prayer life as an individual or as a family over the next 50 days. Um, We've told you a couple times that we are preparing for November when we will celebrate the 50th anniversary of Fellowship Bible Church. This church was founded in November of 1972, and the elders wanted to call all of you to 50 days of strategic prayer um, across different ministries of the church and ministries that are partner ministries of the church over these next 50 days. And so th- that's what this is. And I think we ran out, so if you didn't get one, we'll try to get you one on the way out. We will also send this out via email um, tomorrow for you. Um, but with this, I would challenge you and encourage you to take one of these home. Look, Jason's got more. Bill's got more. So if you need more, go ahead and raise your hand. we got plenty now. Um, take one of these. Read through it in the days ahead. Um, check it every day and see. We've got um, praying for God to move in our community and in our church. We've got uh, focus on our kids' ministry, focus on our world mission partners, on our U.S.-based mission partners, focus on our youth, focus on praying in our country and our local area. All of those um, issues are addressed within this prayer guide. And uh, with this, one of the things that you'll see is on Wednesday of this week, we'd actually like to make a special invitation to all of you to join us at 7 o'clock this Wednesday in this room, where we will pray together and have a special worship and prayer night. Every Wednesday night at 7 We have a prayer meeting that takes place in the backstage cafe right behind me, and we host it on Zoom as well for people that can't be here in person this Wednesday and over the next few weeks. We want to especially encourage you, if you've never been to prayer meeting before, if you're a regular, if you've always wondered what it's about, whatever position you're in, we'd really encourage you to join over these 50 days. And we're going to start it out this Wednesday with something special and sort of a different format of prayer. So if you've never been before, please, please join us 7 o'clock this Wednesday for corporate prayer together. And then you'll hear more and more about these 50 days of prayer as we go. Additionally, there's a half bulletin sheet that you should have received on, on your way in. There's, some, there's different things going on in the life of the church that are included on that. A couple big things to be mindful of. Um, this Saturday is going to be um, an opportunity, sorry, not this Saturday. The Saturday, October the um, 9th, or 8th. See, I'm just blanking on my days because I didn't even bring mine up here. The second Saturday in October, let's go with that, there's going to be a men's breakfast, and uh, the details of that are in the uh, bulletin. There's also a sign-up sheet for that in, on that table back there. There's a beginning of a sign-up for a kid's Christmas program for elementary school kids. If you want to be a part of that, you want your kids to participate in that, you can sign up at that table back there. And there's some other information uh, back there on that table um, and in that bulletin if you uh, want to have deeper ways to connect in the church. Additionally, I'll tell you, uh, this Sunday night we again have our financial seminar that is uh, meeting at 5.30 in the room behind me. We have at least one life group meeting on campus tonight. Next week, a week from today, there's going to be multiple life groups that are starting back after the financial seminar finishes this week. Next Sunday night, there's going to be several different small groups meeting here on campus Sunday night. So if you... have have not connected with a small group yet and you want some information, we will have that information for you next Sunday and we'll actually have a special testimony about the life group ministry at the church. So I'd encourage you over this next week to prayerfully consider. Come tonight and join one tonight or come next week and we'll have a variety of different groups for you to engage in. Now if you would, turn with me to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1. We'll continue to see what God says about... His plan for building his church. And this week, we're actually kind of finishing the passage that we started last week. Last week, we were in this sort of central passage that set the theme for this entire letter from Paul to Timothy. And in verses three through seven, we saw the aim, the goal of everything that Paul is doing in his writing to Timothy is love. He wants the church of Jesus to represent God's love. And in representing God's love in verse 5, he wants love to flow from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So for this week, we're going to focus in on verses 8 through 11, but I'm going to take us back to verse 5. We're going to pick up in verse 5 and read from there. The aim of our charge is love, that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law, without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. So then for today, we are looking particularly at those people that Paul has just spoken of in verse 6 and 7. Those that seek to be teachers of the law and ultimately have no idea what they're talking about. Verse 8. to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, with which I have been entrusted. So then our focus for today is in understanding who Paul is talking about and what he means. Now, if you, you know that as laws are passed and laws are written, that laws exist for multiple different re- reasons within a society. Reasons of protection, reasons of restraint. You want to protect the innocent, you want to restraint the evil. But you also know that within the human heart, there is an incredible ability to justify our own behaviors. One of the things that humans have within our flesh is an innate ability to twist laws and to twist circumstances to make ourselves right and everybody else wrong. And then within that, you have different personality types that apply laws in different ways. And so what Paul is doing here is he is addressing a group of people who have taken laws that were good and twisted them. And if you've ever been a parent, If you've ever been around young children, you start to learn how different personality types, different types of children will apply laws differently, and you've got to be aware of that because you can have multiple different children within the same same household to which you say one thing and it gets applied radically different ways. Here's an example. You tell one child they have stepped out of line, you send them to their room, and you have one child. That for that child, going to your room as a punishment is so significant and so weighty that that child will not leave that room for any circumstance. And then you come in, and that child is sitting there and is just crying. And you say, well, what's wrong? I've had to go to the bathroom for like 30 minutes, and I'm so afraid to leave. And you're like, no, 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 no. You can go to the bathroom. This is not, this is not you go to your room forever like the rest of your life. But certain personalities... That's the way they interpret it. That if I go to my room, I'm never going to come out. What's going to happen to me? I'm going to die in this room someday. <laughs> and then you have this other child that probably lives in the same household and probably has a very similar genetic makeup, but it's radically different somehow. And this child, they get sent to their room immediately, and suddenly they have to go to the bathroom and they're not going to be shy about asking about it. In fact, they're going to ask five different times every three minutes. And somehow you're like, how do you have to go to the bathroom so much? Every time you get punished, you go to your room, you immediately have to go to the bathroom, and then you go back to your room, and then you immediately need some water, and then you go back to your room. You meet, And different personality types will either try to find their way around the directive that is given, or go in such a, a high degree of I need to not step out of line again. I've got to follow this rule, this law laid down by mom and dad. And you can look at that at children, but it translates through to adulthood too, where as we look at ourselves as adults, we approach rules, laws from the state and from God differently. Some of us religiously live by traffic laws. I say some of us, some of you. I felt like I was lying to you there for to include myself in that. Some of us think they're more suggestions that you apply contextually. That's more accurate of me. But you get the point that, that in different scenarios, we might really religiously, woodenly apply some laws and rules and others we might think, eh, it's more of a suggestion. What Paul is dealing with here in 1 Timothy is a whole group of people that are causing controversy and hardship within a church that Paul dearly loved in the city of Ephesus. Because they're twisting the law. And they are actually using the law to hurt the followers of Jesus. Throughout the, the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, are this together make up this category called pastoral epistles. Uh, the, the, the application of the law, they, there are things like they, they come down so hard on people in some areas. As, a, as an example, they decided, these teachers of the law decided that, that, um, that marriage was, was sinful. And so they would actually forbid marriage. And yet in other aspects of the law, they themselves were so incredibly and openly sinful, it was very clear to Paul from the outside, these people have no respect for God's law. That's why in verse 6 and 7, he says, they're trying to be teachers of the law, and they're speaking confidently, and they have no idea of that which they speak confidently. And so our process for today, in verses 8 through 11, we're going to look at, at this passage in three sections. Number one, what Paul says, and we've got to understand what he means, the law is not for the just. And from that, you, you look at that, and, and at least in the first reading of it, you see in verse 8, if the law is not laid down for the just, is Paul saying that the law is not for the Christian? And if that is what Paul is saying, then what is the relationship between the Christians saved by grace through faith in Jesus? What's our relationship to the Old Testament law? So that points to point two there. What is the right use of the law? And then point number three, The law is for the disobedient. So first, from verse uh, 9, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. This is fairly clear at first. Once someone has been justified by grace and declared just by God, Paul is saying that the law is not applied to the justified person in the same way that the law is actually intended for the sinner and not intended to... Here's what the people were doing here. The law is not intended to manipulate and control the the behavior of somebody who has been justified. So that's why we have to understand what is the purpose of the law. Because the wrong use of the law... Before we get to the right use of the law, let's look at the wrong use of the law. The wrong use of the law from the supposed... It's almost like if Paul would have been writing in 21st century um, America, he would have put the teachers of the law in like air quotes like this. Because what he's saying is these people that are supposed to be teachers of the law have no idea what the law actually says and how it applies to people. They get enough of the law to use it to bash people in the face and control other people's behavior. It's actually just like the Pharisees. Because what did the Pharisees do in Jesus' day? You remember the stories of these guys that became opponents to Jesus because they wanted to apply the wall so concretely to people that they actually ended up trying to control people's behavior to make themselves look good in the eyes of society. And so what the Pharisees would do, they would do things like they would try to get people to not just tithe, not just give their money, to the temple and to the priests. The Pharisees would go so woodenly in that particular issue, they would get people to cut off a tenth of their herbs from their garden to bring it to the temple to offer an offering there. And so that aspect of the law was super crystal clear to the Pharisees. You need to tithe a tenth of your mint and dill to the priests. But then the laws that that spoke about caring for widows and orphans, and taking care of those in need, those were the ones they were neglecting. They were not loving their neighbor as the law also requires. And so Jesus exposed them for only applying a portion of the law and not all of it. That's basically the same thing that Paul is doing here. There's a category of people that had loved the law from an informational sense, but never fully understood the point of it. And so while they loved the Old Testament and those Hebrew scriptures, which are so full of beauty and full of revelation of the beauty of who God is. Let, Let me just ease your concerns here. The Old Testament law is a beautiful written revelation of who God is and his character and is useful for the Christian. Paul's not saying that it's not. But Paul is saying that for the one who has been justified by faith, the application of the law is different than what those people were actually doing. So the question that is the most essential question for the day, what is the right use of the law? I'm going to give you three ways that that, um, church leaders and, and theologians have understood the way the law functions in Scripture. Number one. The law restrains individuals, and this is not just from 1 Timothy, this is consistent with other things Paul says. If you want to look at what Paul thinks about the law, in 1 Timothy, he's sort of building on things that he's already said in places like Galatians 3 and Romans 7. Romans 7, 7 says, Should we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. And so the law restrains individuals by exposing sins. And let me be clear here. You cannot come to faith in Jesus, come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as Messiah and Savior of your soul. If you do not reconcile with the fact that you are a sinner. If you do not recognize the reality and weight of your own sin, and that the weight of your own sin has left you at a status of deserving condemnation from a holy God, then you don't enter into relationship with Jesus just by getting warm, fuzzy feelings and thinking that Jesus is a nice idea. You enter into relationship with Jesus through repentance of your sin, which has done damage to your eternal soul and brought a separation between you and God. And so the function of the law for the ungodly in presenting the gospel is so significant here because the law restrains sinful behavior. Paul says in Romans 7, I didn't know what sin was until the law told me what sin is. We need a definition of what sin and righteousness is if we're going to live a life that follows Jesus. The law restrains individuals. The law reveals sin. In restraining individuals, it helps us recognize the boundaries to our behaviors. In in revealing sin, it acts like a mirror that can then lead us to Christ. Romans 3, 19 and 20 says, We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So we need to know first what is good and righteous in our behavior and how we follow Christ. We need to know second that our sin has created for us this weight that leads to condemnation if that sin is not paid for. And then number three, if we're going to continue to follow Christ as a believer now. Okay, so these first two are the point of the law for the unjust, for the unredeemed. So what is the point of the law for the just? That's what point three here says, that the law points out the works that please God. Romans 13, O no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or any other commandment, are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So it's one thing to just say, you should follow the law. We need some practical implications of what a life that that follows the law looks like. And so the law spells it out for us. And so there's, there's that piece of it. We need to know what is the use of the law for us as believers. The law is good in restraining sin. The law is good in revealing sin to sinners. The law is good in showing us that the ultimate way to apply the law, Romans 13, 10, is to live a life of love for God and love for neighbor. That's Paul's priority in 1 Timothy 1, 4, and 5, and it's Paul's priority in, first, in Romans 13, 8 through 10, that you follow the law, you rightly apply the law through living a life of love that loves God and loves your neighbor. How do you love God? That's that's when you get into the implications of the law. So let me do another little bit more of a hearty, heavy lifting discussion of the law. Part, Part two here on what is the right use of the law. Not only are there three uses of the law, there's actually three categories of the law that have been historically understood to speak of the Old Testament law. There is the moral law, the civil law, And the ceremonial law. Now, here's the problem, when you get to applying the law and understanding, I mean, here's the question for today, As, as simply put, what do I as a Christian do with the first five books of the Old Testament? What do I do with Leviticus? What do I do with Deuteronomy? What do I do with those Old Testament laws? Am I to live under them, or am I to just look at them as good information and say, praise God, I'm saved by Jesus, The answer starts with understanding the uses of the law and the categories of the law because the law is good as it exposes sin, restrains individual, and as it shows us, defines for us what a life of honoring God looks like. But we also have to understand what categories we emphasize as new covenant believers in Jesus. So historically, the church has defined the law in three different categories. The moral law, the civil law, the ceremonial law. These are pretty easy to understand. The moral law does what point three of the three uses of the law just said. The moral law defines for you, this is what sin is, and this is what righteousness is, and that's good. We need that. We need, listen, for the strength and health of families, we need a law from God that says adultery is a sin, and that is given for our good and for the good of our families, to proclaim to us, this is not good for you. It does not honor God, and it does not honor how God has created you. Murder is a sin. It is wrong. We need that crystal clear definition from the law. And so the moral law is significant. The civil law, the civil laws are those laws which allow the nation of Israel in the Old Testament to be set apart from the nations of the world. So the Old Testament contains civil laws that are specific to the nation of Israel that cannot then be applied to a, a nation that is not under the covenant of promise that the nation of Israel was under in the Old Covenant. And then there's a third category, the ceremonial laws. These are the sacrificial laws. Okay? And see, you get to this point where you read Hebrews. I hope you read Hebrews someday. And when you read Hebrews you see that the author of Hebrews says something incredibly extreme that's super hard to figure out because the author of Hebrews says that the law has been made obsolete by Jesus. That the law is old news because Jesus has fulfilled the law. Jesus has, in Galatians, redeemed us from the curse of the law. And so you you read through through um, passages like this in 1 Timothy, passages like Romans 7, Galatians 3, Hebrews, and you think, is the law good or not? What do I do with this? And it can be really confusing and overwhelming. Let me tell you what Hebrews is talking about when it says the law is obsolete. It's speaking specifically of the ceremonial law more than anything else, but also the, the civil law and the moral law to a lesser extent. And let me explain why. The message of Hebrews is telling us that Christ has fulfilled every aspect of the ceremonial law on our behalf. Those sacrifices, which are bloody and rough, that are, that are difficult and violent and laborious to follow those rules. Read through Leviticus and see what God asked his old covenant people to do in order to live in relationship with him. Every single one of those sacrifices of the old covenant is fulfilled in Jesus, a once and for all, pure, spotless lamb going to the cross to pay the penalty for sin. And so the the ceremonial law is absolutely obsolete in Christ because Christ has fulfilled the demands by living a perfect life, By dying a death in which he took sin upon himself and then raising again, achieving victory over death and the enemy, Satan. The civil law, again, it does not not apply in the same way to any nation that is not under the covenant with which God had with Israel. Now God has a covenant with his church. And so we live under the promise of God's love and protection and salvation as new covenant believers within his church and not just Fellowship Bible Church but any church, any true church believing um, the true gospel of Jesus. And so the civil laws are also obsolete for the new covenant believer in Jesus. There are some beautiful principles and some beautiful truths about God's character that we can learn from both the civil and ceremonial law. And so read through the Bible. Read through the entire Bible. Do Here, think about it now. It's September. you got a couple months to prepare mentally. Think about reading the Bible through in a year, in 2023. And think about reading all of those passages of the Old Testament that are really difficult to read, that can be really laborious and confusing. And think about, can I read those passages with my mind set on the hope of Christ and the hope of the gospel that is being pointed to through all of these passages in the Old Testament where it may be difficult to see? But the ceremonial law, the civil law, They're fulfilled in Christ and therefore obsolete. What about the moral law? Well, if we go back to the purposes of the law, the moral law is what still is necessary to expose sin in the heart and in the life of an unbeliever. And the moral law is still necessary for us to know what sin is and what righteousness is. And so, Wow, the moral law is not a legal requirement where you cannot be right with God if you don't follow those laws. That's not the legal requirement for new covenant believers because Jesus has fulfilled that legal requirement of of moral perfection from the law. We could not. The point of the moral law was to prove not this is how you get right with God, but to prove you cannot get right with God without Jesus. And so we have freedom, righteousness, we are justified in Jesus. But the moral law is still useful for us in defining what sin is. And in our gospel presentations, we have to be clear to people, you are a sinner. And if you are a sinner, you deserve punishment from God. But there is hope. The gospel says that Jesus has died so that you might have life. But you cannot receive that life while you keep on thinking you're not a sinner. And if you keep on thinking, well, I'm not as bad as that guy, surely God can't be that displeased with me, I've lived a mostly good life, that person is not going to reach the level of repentance to receive salvation. We've got to help people understand what sin is and the vileness of sin before a holy God. So, who then is the law given for, point three, for our day? The law is given for the guilty that need to know they're guilty. I'm going to show you a a chart here. The text is going to be small, um, but I hope you can can see it um, somewhat well. Uh, 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 10. Um, There are different, it's a long list. And throughout 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, Paul likes to use lists. He uses lists to define what sin is, to define what righteousness is. He uses lists to define all sorts of behaviors and character. And what he's doing here in 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 10 is he's actually mirroring the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments as a part of the moral law of the Old Covenant. And here's why he's doing it. He is actually I'm going to say what I what I think Paul is doing, and I don't think it's an exaggeration. Paul is so wanting to expose the remember air quotes teachers of the law that he's going to put the law right in their face and expose. They think they can make confident assertions about things they have no idea what they're talking about. Let me show you what they've missed. And he spells out what is the most basic part of all of the Old Covenant law. It's it's the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20. And here he exposes very, very clearly that they have blown it as it approaches the Ten Commandments. Some of them are very explicit. Some of them are, are, are difficult to see the connections. But as you go through the whole list, you can see. I mean, clearly, Paul says the false teachers kill their parents. It's a weird thing to say about false teachers. But that's how little they respect their parents. Clearly, that associates with point five, honor your father and mother. He calls the false teachers murderers, while the Ten Commandments deny murder. He calls them sexually immoral and speaks of homosexuality. The Ten Commandments say no adultery. He calls them uh, enslavers, might be the word in your translation. The word literally means man-stealer, somebody who steals another human beings, so kidnapper or slave trader, thou shalt not steal, um, Exodus 20, 15. Liars and perjurers, those ones, The commandments 5 through 9, are incredibly explicit in First Timothy 1, 9, and 10. I'd encourage you to go back and, and read through these things and see how Paul is exposing, is openly, publicly discrediting these false believers, not just for their doctrine, but for the way that their lives don't reflect the doctrine. They are telling other people, follow the law, follow the law, follow the law, and they're missing the basics. And so you can equate, once you see that five through nine are very clear, you can look at it and see their lawlessness and rebelliousness is recognizing they do not want to live under God's law, actually. The ungodliness is an example of idolatry. The the Profaneness is they don't recognize the, the sacredness of, of who God is and therefore God's name and the Sabbath day to keep it holy. All of these things are reflective within 1 Timothy 1, 9, and 10 and Exodus 20. And it's easy to miss in first reading, but here's the overall point. And guys, this is a, a central take-home for us today. Right doctrine and right living always intimately connected in the scriptures. Believing the right thing and doing the right thing have an intimate connection in God's revealed word. The the exposure of the false teachers that Paul is going to continue throughout all of 1 Timothy, his exposure is not just focused on what they teach, but how they live. Paul is centrally saying in here, you want to know how to know a false teacher. Look at what's going on behind the scenes. Because you will know them by their fruit. And false teachers don't just say wrong things. False teachers live sinfully. False teachers deny God's righteousness and the, command, the true picture of righteousness in the commands of the law. So Paul is exposing these people. And the danger here, the danger that the false teachers give us an example of, is we must be very careful with what we believe, what we teach, and how we live. Because all of 1 Timothy is a a dire warning for the person who wants to jump on somebody else's bad behavior and expose the bad, bad behavior of somebody else without properly looking inside to see what is going on within that individual's life with Christ. Paul has no patience for the people who take advantage of other people. So much of First Timothy, as we'll see, Paul's concern is not, is not for Timothy being beat up on, on, by the false teachers. Paul is concerned for innocent and vulnerable people being misled by false teachers. And Paul is not trying to pick a fight with somebody, Paul's not being a bully. Paul's the one that's going to come in with the doctrinal truth to call down the bullies from taking advantage of innocent, vulnerable people within the church. He's going to stand up for the truth of God's word, stand up for what is right, both in confronting their character and confronting their teaching. And so I'd encourage you this week to give some further reflection to these things and give some further reflection to the law. But we'll close it this way with some next steps. The call of this passage is to live as one who is justified with relationship to the law. And what I mean by that is let your actions be motivated first by love of Christ and love of the gospel and not fear of the law and fear of condemnation. And I say that, I say that specifically to the Christians in the room. I say that specifically to those that have been redeemed. Let your life be motivated by the love of God and not the fear of God. Live as one convicted by the new life the law describes. If you are not reflecting the beauty of righteousness that God defines in the law, even though you're a Christian, don't just say, well, at least I'm saved by grace through faith. Pursue that beautiful life of righteousness that God defines. And Paul, throughout the course of 1 Timothy, we're going to see a fuller and fuller picture of the life of maturity. Live as one who seeks to make the gospel clear, that truly understands. I don't obey God so that I will be accepted by God. I obey God because I've already been accepted by God through the sacrifice of Christ. And finally, as we rejoice in the table that sits before us here, We rejoice in the sacrifice that has redeemed us from the curse of the law. So I'm going to invite the band to come up. I'm going to invite those that are going to help in serving the Lord's table to come up. And let me set this up for you this way. What we have before us is a family meal and a family celebration. It's a celebration and recognition of the gospel. And and there's some warnings that come along with it. Number one, this is a meal that is designed for, for those that have received the sacrifice of Jesus. So scripture has a warning. Let's, yeah, a couple of you guys moved down here. Scripture has a warning for those that receive the broken body and shed blood of Jesus inappropriately. And so maybe God is working on your heart right now. And if, that, if that's you, and you're recognizing, boy, I, I didn't see in clarity the real conviction of my sin and the real status of my soul before an eternal God, then I would invite you to to come forward up here and find me as the men go out. Come meet me up here and let's talk about sin, salvation, and how to be right with Christ. And then partake of the supper, having worked out your own salvation with fear and trembling and made sure that you are right in right relationship with Christ. But for the rest of us, as we approach this, within each of these trays, there is a, a cup that together has a, a cracker and juice that are representative of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. Because what we do here is sacred. We remember that in this supper, we are remembering, first, the Passover that was instituted by God for the old covenant people of Israel. To remember how God delivered his people out of bondage. And when I say that the old covenant is fulfilled in Jesus, this is what I'm talking about. The bondage we have been delivered from is so much worse than Egypt, so much more full than slavery. We have been delivered from bondage to sin and given a new life with Christ. So these men are gonna pass out the elements. I want you to hold them. And after the song, we're gonna come back together and receive them together. Let me pray for us. Father, now as we distribute these elements and reflect on the broken body and shed blood, of your son Jesus, Father, we pray that by your spirit you would be working in every single heart and mind. That those that have not yet received you would today, even now, Lord Jesus, that you would renew their hearts and give them the ability to repent of their sin and to say yes to you by grace through faith. And for those of us that have followed you for any number of days, Father, give us a fresh experience of your grace and mercy as we receive your broken body and shed blood this morning. In Jesus' name. would take the cup in your hand and peel off the first la- layer revealing the wafer and this we'll receive first and we remember as we receive it that Jesus on the last day held up the matzah of the Passover supper and he said this is my body and as he broke it in his hands told them that this is my body that is broken for you. So when we do this, we remember that his body was broken for us. Take and eat in the name of Jesus. And then take the cup, a reminder of the blood that was painted over the doorposts at the first Passover, but also a reminder of what we just established as obsolete for the new covenant believer. That every sacrifice of that Old Testament system, system has been fulfilled in the one sacrifice of Jesus. And it's not the blood of lamb after lamb, after bull, after goat, that, uh, uh, that achieves for us atonement of sin. But it's a once and for all sacrifice. As we receive Jesus' blood, we remember this blood has been shed for us. In Jesus' name. When we gather together, about once a month, we do this, where we celebrate the Lord's Supper, and we reflect especially on the beautiful grace that is given to us, the gift that has been given in Jesus, and we express our gratitude to him. And as we have received freely, now we give freely. This is what we call our Samaritan offering. This offering goes outside of the church to help those in physical felt needs in our community through the ministry of our church. This is not the, the, the budget, that, or this is not the offering that funds the ministries of the church. This goes outside and is a special offering. So let me pray over this, and then we receive the offering. Father, I praise you, because as we have freely received the grace that has come from you. Now, Father, out of the abundance of what you have gifted to us, we pray your blessing over this offering, over those who give, and those who will receive the physical support that this offering requires or this offering provides. Father, we praise you for the opportunities we have as a local church to minister to physical needs and to preach the gospel to address the greatest need of sin and salvation. And the eternal message of the gospel. So Father, bless this offering in Jesus' name. Amen.
4: Sing this out. Please. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again because all that I have is a heart. throw up my ears and praise you again and again cause all that I have is alleluia alleluia and I know it's not much but I'm nothing else but for a king except for our sin